Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad that we're going to have this time together. A very special guest with me today, Jonathan Parnell, is here with me. We're going to talk uh, about what's going on in life. You know, we have a way of processing with each other, and that, I think, uh, helps the body of Christ because many of us are in a similar situation. And just when uh, Jonathan showed up, I asked him how he slept last night, and he said, eh, not too good. I said, well, tell me more. And I said, would you ever be willing to talk about it on the air? He goes, yeah, turn on the microphone. So here, uh, uh, Jonathan is the senior pastor at uh, Cities Church here in Minneapolis-St. Paul. And he's uh, written a number of books, um, incredible devotional, uh, Mercy for Today, which is a a daily uh, prayer from Psalm 51, another book called Never Settle for Normal. And he's with me here right now. Jonathan, welcome back. Hey, Bill. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I didn't mean to strike such a uh, sensitive chord when you walked no, in, but good. you know, um, there was something about your your temp- temperament that I thought you seem a little flat today. Yeah, I mean, you got that million dollar smile, which is great, uh, and uh, you always kind of come in spring loaded into the studio, which I appreciate. Well, it was a good question. You said, "How'd you sleep last night?" And I said, "I said, you know, if you ask someone, how are you?" Uh, you know, the normal response is good. Okay. How are you? Right. You ask someone how they slept. They have to, <laughs> they have to think about that. Yeah. And I did not sleep well last night. Yeah. And it's a good diagnostic for, you know, just, uh, well, I mean, I have eight children, so, you know, it's, uh, sleepless night sometimes can be connected to activity with the kids, but sometimes like last night, it's just because I'm tossing and turning and writing emails in my, head and <laughs> thinking about the same thing every hour and mm-hmm. uh and it's a burden and that's uh, that's real life so we we find ourselves there sometimes and um and yeah thanks for asking me how i slept well um, it's interesting because you are probably recycling some of the, the same thoughts as you drift in and out of sleep maybe you're up every hour like you said kind of thinking over the same yeah, thoughts it's one of those things where and I mean, this is a great conversation. Sleep. I mean, there's so much to say about sleep. Um, but uh, for me, it's it's knowing that I'm kind of carrying this thing. I'm trying my best to to cast my anxieties on the Lord. But kind of, I have a I have the idea that now I'm going to be waking up thinking about this. So maybe I kind of doomed, uh, you know, kind of doom myself by thinking that. But then, sure enough, like it's not not wide awake, but kind of tossing and turning, mulling it over. And, uh, and yeah, it's a good, you wake up and, you know, you got to run, run to prayer. Um, because you know, I've been, I've been carrying this thing that God doesn't want me to carry. So, Mm -hmm. so do you find yourself being kind to yourself when you wake up? Do you say, Oh, I'm up. I'm not sleeping. I wished I was sleeping, but I'm up. So maybe the Lord has uh, awoken me to have more prayer time. Do you feel frustrated? Are you starting to get mad at yourself or 
What goes on in, in a pastor's brain with eight that's kids? A, that's a good question. You know, <laughs> so for me, waking up um, is, uh, it, you know, one thing is like when I'm tossing and turning at night, um, I'm ready for the morning. Like I'm ready to, too. to resign. Yes. Let's this get this over with. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so when the alarm clock finally goes off, there's, there's no snooze. It's okay. Good. Um, and then from, you know, from there, you know, you have your habits and, um, for me, it's opening, uh, opening the word of God. It's praying Psalm 51 that I've written about. Uh, and then, and then, uh, some scripture memorization and meditation. And then it's, it's, you know, right away, um, just trying to name those things that feel heavy. And sometimes it's even hard to do that. I think that's the thing we, we sometimes feel heavy and carry burdens and, we can't exactly draw straight lines to, to where is that coming from? You know, it's, well, it's January in Minnesota. That's a thing. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, you know, it's a, and that, I don't think we always have to know exactly. Um, it's just, it's what we do with that. And uh, we are told in Scripture, First Peter 5, humble yourselves, therefore, before the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, he will exhaust you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so the question in those moments is, do I really believe that's true? Do I believe that God cares for me like the Bible says he does? And if he does, then, hey, cast your anxieties on him. So you do that. You just tell him. And uh, you leave it there. Yeah. Do you ever get to a point, uh, Jonathan, where you start to feel a little um, stuck, where you don't know exactly what to say, but that's okay, too, because you can enter the throne room of heaven and say, Lord, here I am. I feel a little broken and confused. Help me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's Romans eight where the spirit makes intercession for us for the groanings too deep for words. Like we, you know, it's a gift. Anytime that we can articulate uh, the complexities that we feel, just stop right there. Cause that's grace. It's a grace that you can name it and identify it. Sometimes you can't, what do you do with that? Well, you just say, whatever this is, you know, it's, I heard a great quote recently that you can, we can only, we can only surrender all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of God. And I think that's, I think that's right. We want to always be obviously growing in our knowledge of God and also growing in the knowledge, in the knowledge of ourselves. Um, and then sometimes it's just fuzzy. We don't know, you know, mm-hmm. and we just, as best as we can, we say, God, you know, take this, you see it all. Um, and what you think matters most. And we just surrender that. Sometimes we can overcomplicate moments uh, where we're thinking too much. And sometimes the answer is, uh, what's my diet like? Am I getting any exercise? And am I going to bed at a reasonable hour? Yeah. I mean, some of it, it's pretty simple. We, yeah, exactly. We are embodied souls. Like yeah. I think the body is really important and, um, it's something that, that we, we talk a lot about at our church and among our pastors, our team, um, that guys are, you know, I, I just mentioned to you, you asked me how, I slept, and thanks for asking that. That's you can't s- skirt around that question. You either you slept well, or you right. didn't. Um, and that's you know one of the things I ask I ask you know some of the guys that I, I get to work with is, uh, what'd you read this morning? Uh, what's the last thing you said to your wife? And uh, how'd you sleep? Mm-hmm, and those three questions tend to be uh, kind of a good barometer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that uh, sharing that with me, and I would I'd love to do a little bit of um, talk about. Uh, Revelation and yeah. the Church of Ephesus. Maybe there's uh, some dots we can connect. Yeah, there. Yes, and the first is um, that who God is is not is not determined by how we feel. That's the first thing to say. Um, you know, it's the two different frameworks that I, I talk I talk about in Mercy for today. There's the moral framework of reality, 
the psychological framework, you could say the objective, the subjective. And for us to realize, just despite how we feel, God is God because he is God. And what is true of him is always true of him, whether it's clear to us or not. Um, so to, to know that God is outside of ourselves and that when we encounter the, the word of God here, when we open the pages of scripture, that's, that's what we're doing. We are, we, are, we are beholding this God who is outside of ourselves. And that's what's so great, I think, about Revelation, as I was just mentioning to you before we jumped on here, is the way that Revelation 1 it engages the imagination of the believer. All right. I love that idea when it engages the imagination of the believer. I'd love for you to say more about that. So, so, for, so I'll, I'll tell you, like the thing that I've said on here before, and one of the things that I say all the time in our church is, is just repeating for folks that, that Jesus is real. And it's so important that we believe he's real. Um, most of the problems and issues that we run into is when we let uh, circumstances or different things in our life become more real to us than Jesus. Mm-hmm. But coming back to, he's a real person. And what the Bible says about Jesus is true and he's real. And so that should change how we uh, move through our day. I, I love Second Timothy 4.17, where this is Paul at the end of his, of his life, really, the end of his ministry. And he talks about all of his colleagues, his ministry partners had abandoned him. Um, and I don't, don't want to charge it against you. He's, he's gracious. And he says, um, although he was abandoned by his, his friends, he says, but the Lord stood by me, verse 17, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And Lord there, he's talking about Jesus. And so just to hear Paul say that Jesus somehow, some way by his spirit, the spirit is the spirit of Jesus so much so that, you know, his presence in Paul's life in that moment was like Jesus himself standing, standing by Paul. Jesus stood by him and strengthened him, empowered him, gave him what he needed. And I love and that that works because he's real. So for us to think that way, that, that we want Jesus to stand by us when we go through hard things, when we go through anything. And we need Jesus to stand by us and strengthen us. So that that's first the category I think we should think that way about Jesus. I mean, not not the not Jesus as the idea, not not Jesus as a character in a book, but like a person mm-hmm. who really strengthens us and gives us what we need. Amen. And then the thing in Revelation that's so great is um, we get to see Jesus because there's a vision of him that John talks about, and. And so this is a vision that it, it arrests the imagination. We're supposed to, we read the words and we're supposed to, to see what John is describing here. And he, he says in, in Revelation 1, verse 12, and you can imagine this when, when I read it here. He says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. So here he goes. He's clothed with a long robe. And with a golden sash around his chest, and the hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Wow. That's in it. It blows categories, right? I, I, totally. I, I read this to our to our kids, and I, I said this has been a couple weeks ago. Imagine Jesus like that. 
And, you know, my 10-year-old was like, but wait, Dad, how can his eyes be like flames of fire, but his face is like the sun? Won't they, like, blend, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, great yeah, question. great question. And yeah. I, it doesn't, we, do, we can't. It doesn't, we don't. Yeah, don't we have to just the idea is that we're just overcome by this thing. It <laughs> blows our categories. Yeah. Um but but it's it's communicating to us his supremacy, his power. I like I want this to change the way that I think of sunshine. Mm-hmm. Sunshine is what it is to communicate to us the face of Jesus. That's when you see the sun shining, remember Revelation one, his face shines like the sun, shining wow. in full strength. Wow. So when you teach uh, or read this to your kids, do you do it in one shift or do you break it up into smaller groups? Because you got like eight kids. Can you yeah. do it all in one? This what, is all in one. I mean, look, okay, good maybe for you. two or three are actually getting it. You okay. know? <laughs> Some of them are, you know, putting rice yeah. up their nose. And, and I and get doing, that. You know, yeah. So. All right. Jonathan Parnell is my guest. We're uh, going to take a short break and we come back, continue our discussion in Revelation chapter one. Be right You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. I'm back with Pastor Jonathan Parnell over at Cities Church here in the Twin Cities. He's also an author, written a great, great devotional. A couple of great devotions. Well, let's see. A couple of devotionals, too? Yeah, so Mercy for Today's devotional. Yeah, that's a devotional. Never Said for Normal is more of like a kind of an overview of yeah. the gospel Christianity. Yeah, it's kind of a Christianity 101. Right, right. I think about yeah. it, yeah. But Mercy for Today, it's a daily prayer from Psalm 51, and I really like my copy, and I don't share it with anybody. I keep it for myself. <laughs> I, don't want, <laughs> I don't want it to get out. You know what I mean? But that isn't saying that you shouldn't go get a copy. You can head over to Jonathan parnell.com learn more about the book of course you can get it on amazon as well i'm sure yeah all right now um that's just a book i want to recommend thank you i'm not here to you know do anything other than i'm thankful yeah learn from you we're talking about revelation chapter one jonathan i want to help help me understand how it ties into matthew 11 I love Matthew 11. So, you know, the the idea here we have, I mean, think again, imagination. You know, Matthew 11 is the great, the great invitation for us to find rest in Jesus. Matthew 11, 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And we imagine Jesus as he's saying this, you know, I, I imagine his arms are extended, his hands are out, palms are up, and he's saying, are you tired? <laughs> Come and find I'll gi- I will give you rest. And he describes his heart. And great, my favorite book from last year is uh, Dane Ortland's uh, Gentle and Lowly. He, he just talks about what it means that Jesus describes his heart here as Jesus' heart is gentle and lowly. And we have this, we have Jesus saying this, we have this image of Jesus here in Matthew 11, and then juxtapose that with this image of Jesus in Revelation 1. His eyes are a flame of fire. He's got a double-edged sword protruding out of his mouth. I know. His face shines stunning. like this. Stunning. Stunning. And we think, how do we, what do we do with that? How do we, 
what, what do we do with this Matthew 11, you know, this amazing, gracious welcome of Jesus for us to find rest? And then we have this startling, terrifying vision of Jesus in Revelation 1. Now, I think we have to hold them together because, uh, let me see, I, I'll explain it this way. <laughs> if I was running, if I was walking down my street and all of a sudden uh, a tornado is coming behind me and I'm walking and I'm too far away from my house to, you know, run there for, for cover. I'm just, I'm just, I'm looking for a place to go over to my left. I have a neighbor who has a tent popped up in their front yard and they say, Hey, uh, come here and find rest. Look at that. Then over on my right, another neighbor, they have this like insane bomb shelter in the front yard. It's hmm. like iron. I mean, this is <laughs> like, you know, Cold War air bomb shelter thing. I didn't know it was there. And and they say to me, hey, come into my bomb shelter and find rest. I'm looking, I'm listening to both of these. There's a tornado coming behind me. I'm I'm going to the bomb shelter, right? That's where I'm going to find rest because the promise to find rest is only as good as the power to overcome obstacles and enemies Ooh, and hurdles. That's really good. So it's it's really sweet that my neighbor here in the tent wants me to find rest there. There's a tornado coming, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like Jesus, what Jesus says in Matthew 11 is only as good as he is powerful. We can't find rest in someone who is vulnerable to his enemies because that rest is only going to last as, as long as, as death is held at bay or 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 Satan, you know, is not running his schemes or um, whatever it might be. So the, the thing that helps me in Revelation 1 is I look at this stunning image of Jesus. Eyes like a flame of fire. I just preached this at our church a couple weeks ago. I just kept repeating that. Eyes like a flame of fire. And it's that Jesus who says, I will give you rest. Come to me, mm-hmm. all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I, I'm, I'm saying, okay, I'm coming. Like you with eyes like a flame of fire, you whose heart is gentle and lowly. Eyes like a flame of fire, a heart that's gentle and lowly. I'm going there. I want to find rest there. And I, I think holding those two things together is what gives us confidence to face all the uncertainties of tomorrow. That, that's the thing. The start of a new year can, be, uh, can cause anxiety for people. You know, we, you know, we're well into January now, but uh, I know for some folks, the first week of a new year, especially if you compare it to last year, we had no idea what we were walking into. That's in true. Twenty. Um, it can it can cause some anxiety, cause some fear, understandably. But to know that whatever we're walking into this year, this week, tomorrow, we find we find rest in the Jesus whose eyes is like a flame of fire. His promise is only as good as his power. Mm, that's so powerful. Jonathan, I love that image, and I, I love that you're encouraging us to hold those two together as, as you know, it might not come easily for people to say, here's the one who's giving me rest, and here's the one that's coming with uh, flames of fire in his eyes. It's a strong illustration. Strong. It's yeah, a strong, strong. It's good. couple it's strong of images. It's good, yeah. And yeah. the fact that we need to go to the place that will provide the safety and the refuge and the rest and only he can provide that. Yeah, only he can. And that I mean the you know, in the illustration, maybe it's a little hokey. I, I you know, the the tent over here, I'm trying to that's that's all the empty promises of this world, right? We're always we're just being inundated with these empty promises to find well, let's rest. Let's say it's a nice tent. Yeah. Right. It's a it's a nice tent. And right? a nice guy who wants to And a nice guy. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. But it still represents the empty promises. It's empty. We need to be where we're going to be safe um, in in God's um, uh, in His in the space with Him. Yeah, yeah, in His presence, in His care, uh, leaning on His everlasting arms. I mean, that's the that's our hope, and that's what allows us to take the next step, uh, go to the next thing. I mean, that's that's what it is. That's that's our hope. Mm-hmm. I so appreciate that. That's going to stick with me forever, just so you know. Thanks for that. Um, also, now, it, we just have about three or four minutes left. I wonder if we couldn't uh, jump into something from Mercy for Today, a daily prayer from Psalm 51. Is there a piece from Psalm 51 you can share? Yeah, I think the thing to say about that is, um, well, is all it all has to do with the mercy of God. Um, you know, we, we can't ask God for mercy truly unless we are convinced that he is himself merciful and deeply merciful, tender, mer- the tender mercies of God to the bottom of his heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is in himself, in his nature. He is, he is merciful. And because that's who he is, that gives us our confidence to ask him for mercy. So I, I came back to that this morning. I came back to, to God, I know you're merciful. You tell us you are. I believe that. Uh, and then. Therefore, we ask for him to show us mercy. I like that you use the word tender in front of mercy. Because we can say God's merciful, which is great. But when we talk about him being tender and merciful, I really like that a lot. Yeah, that's, that's in the Gospel of Luke. It's only used at one one time in Luke 1, um, the tender mercy of our God. Uh, and it's a loaded phrase. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. What else from Psalm 51 uh, can you share? The fact that when, you know, David is making a prayer that uh, we might think is is only really applicable when you make huge mistakes, mm-hmm. um, like he had done a terrible, heinous, awful thing. Um, and so we can we can kind of set that aside. That's only when we really make, like, really ruin things. But honestly, no, that's, that's actually a prayer that's for, for any human. It's a, it's a prayer of a human. And so to, to think, you know, and in the past, I talk about this in the book, it was that prayer you kind of held in your back pocket and you only use it when like you really, you know, your conscience was really ruined or you just, you know, felt terrible. But I think, no, this is a daily prayer because we're humans and humans need the mercy of God every day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jonathan, you um, kind of like to send people to your website as well if they would like to hear an online sermon or, or come and listen to you speak on Sunday, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Cityschurch.com is our church's Church is website. Open. And there's... Yeah, we're open 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and then 5 o'clock in the evenings. And uh, our website, we actually have a ton of sermons and articles. And that's because we have a great team of, uh, do have a teaching team, guys who uh, do do a a great job. And I I respect and appreciate them, admire them so much. So check out our website to learn, get more resources. Yeah, I have no tech talent whatsoever. (laughs) I don't know about you, but when it comes to technology, I'm not very good at that. So it's good to have people on staff that know what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Put up a lot of sermons and messages. Yeah. 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 Jonathan yeah, Parnell, nice. thank you so much for being here. Uh, you can head to jonathanparnell.com to see more about his book. It's called Mercy for Today, a daily prayer from Psalm 51. We'll take a short break and be back.
I'm just so glad to be back with my friend, Dr. Greg Heddington. We're going to continue our study on the book of John. I'm loving this. We're already in chapter three, so get out your notebooks, and we're going to have a good time. Greg, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Bill. Great to be here. I'm excited to get into chapter three. I think we're going to talk a little bit about being born again. I can hardly wait. All right. Well, welcome to the seventh lesson in our study of the Gospel of John as we look at John 3, the first 15 verses. The title for this lesson is, There's Just One Way to Eternal Life, and the central idea of this teaching is, eternal life begins when we are born again. Today we're looking at the new birth as the key topic in John chapter 3, as we observe a man who approaches Jesus, and this man virtually represents all people because everyone on earth has a choice of which way to go. We either choose to believe that A, physical matter, what we see, touch, smell and taste are the only reality that concerns us. You might say matters all that matters. Or B, we can choose to commit to the transcendent spiritual life and follow Jesus. So let's look at an example of someone in Scripture who sincerely grapples with the answer, even though some of us know eternal life begins when we are born again. If you're taking notes, Roman numeral 1, Nick, and I-C-K. One night, Jesus receives a knock on the door where he's staying and opens it to find a Jewish religious leader, Nicodemus, who is a ruler of the Jewish governing body called the Sanhedrin, and he's arrived to inquire about a deeper understanding concerning what Jesus is teaching and who he is. He's a sincere seeker of truth, and he knows there's more to life than what one can virtually just see. He was a significant leader, and I mean no respect, but in this lesson, I'm going to refer to Nicodemus by his abbreviated name, which no doubt was the name that his close friends gave him when he was a kid. So I'm going to call him Nick Hmm. for for two reasons. First, it's a one-syllable name, and it's more easily pronounced. And secondly, some of us are so familiar with this story that I think using the name Nick helps us to hear the story in a fresh way. By the way, the four-syllable name Nicodemus in Greek means conqueror of the people. But this night, he will be conquered by the power of the Savior. Nick arrives at night, Nick at night, hmm. and nighttime often carries a symbolic overtone in the writing of the author John, so it can also be referring to spiritual darkness. I don't think Nick visits Jesus at night because he's afraid of the other Jewish leaders who might see him. After all, right off the bat, it's a good American sports expression. Right off the bat, Nick uses the pronoun we when he says, we know you're a teacher come from God. Well, he's referring to the other members of the Sanhedrin who also want to know more about Jesus. So Nick is representing them, and he would like a nice, quiet, uninterrupted conversation with this new teacher who seems to come from God. We see further evidence that Nick is representing more than just himself when all four times that Jesus uses the word you in verse 12, it's the Greek word, which is plural, as in all of you in the Sanhedrin. Roman number two, the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a two-party religious system in Judaism made up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
The Pharisees, also known as the serious ones, did their best to enforce all Jewish laws, and they were also in the minority part. But they were the more conservative, theologically, because they believed in the supernatural, which included miracles, angels, demonic spirits, and the resurrection of the dead. The second part of the Sanhedrin was the Sadducees. They were the majority and ruling party. They were aristocratic, wealthy, and whereas the Pharisees actually were loved by the people, the Sadducees were a little bit more suspect, even though they constantly went back and forth with the Pharisees on theology. And the Sadducees did not believe in the supernatural, which included miracles, angels, demonic spirits, and the resurrection of the dead. And that's why they were so sad, you see. It's a little biblical humor that some people find amusing. <laughs> I Not <did>. always, <laughs> but sometimes. Roman numeral three, the discussion. So we have Nick at night visiting Jesus and representing at least some of the Sanhedrin, and he wants to know what Jesus is all about. But Jesus has no time for small talk, and he gets right into it. He says to Nick, if you want to know about God's kingdom— I'll tell you that unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus uses the Greek word anathen, which means both born again and born from above. Now, Nick assumes Jesus is referring to the former, to a physical birth, and says, well, how can someone enter the second time into their mother's womb? And Jesus explains, unless someone is born of water and spirit, one cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is not talking about baptism, but of an cleansing, as if by water, which is another way of saying to be born of the Spirit. Now, Nick is a Pharisee, and, and he was used to this way of speaking, so he would be familiar with the Ezekiel 36 passage when God tells his people, quote, I will take my people, and I will sprinkle water on them to make them clean, and I will remove your heart of stone and unbelief, and give you a new heart of flesh and understanding with a new spirit. End of quote. Now, Nick should be able to understand that scripture because the new life Jesus is talking about is like the spiritual transformation and renewal already written down by Ezekiel. And Jesus tells him, you're not, you're not just a teacher. You're a teacher of teachers. In other words, Nick, you're the man among religious leaders. No one knows more about scripture than you. So think about the new life, the new heart that Ezekiel talked about. Think about what the prophet Jeremiah said about how God would make a new covenant, and one day all Israel will truly know God. Well, Nick, this is that day. Now do you understand? Well, no, he didn't. Not yet. The Pharisees were in an extended slump, even worse than what the Dallas Cowboys have been for trying to get back into the Super Bowl. <laughs> Nick should understand what Jesus is talking about, but sadly, he did not. The slump that the Pharisees were in is that they continued to believe they could earn their way into heaven by outwardly following legalistic rules, but they were missing the point. Psalm 51, verse 6, is just one passage regarding how people who mechanically follow the laws do not obey God, quote, in their inward parts. In other words, deep in their souls. The Pharisees thought they could schmooze others by their posing and somehow fool God, and it could only be the Holy Spirit, however, that would eventually transform some of them. 
So Nick arrives at night, and he's still in the dark. That's a little metaphorical play on words there that some people find amusing, and, and while others do not find it so amusing. But why is he in the dark? I mean, even after Jesus alludes to the Ezekiel 36 passage about the importance of being washed clean of sin, Nick still does not understand. He's like so many people who, and this is important, so many people who know the facts written in Scripture, but they cannot understand the truth of those facts and how that truth can change their own life. Because as our central idea states, eternal life begins when we're born again. So we're not waiting until we die. The joy of the abundant life begins now while we're still around on the ground. Now, that's all I'm going to say about Nick in this lesson because I want to talk about us. But by the way, there is a happy ending to his story because this meeting with Jesus did help to change him. In John 7:51, Nick tells the Pharisees that they should give Jesus a fair hearing. Let's find out what he's about. And then in the end, at John 19:39, Nick, along with another member of the Sanhedrin named Joseph, they take the body of Jesus after he's crucified and bury him in a garden tomb. No doubt, Nick becomes a believer. So, Roman numeral four, what about us? Today, we know many people like Nick when he first went to Jesus at night. The big difference in the case of people today is they've heard about the facts of the risen Christ, and they know about Christmas, they've at least heard about Easter, and, and they've heard the gospel in a sense for decades, But and some have even been to Bible studies, but their hearts remain unaffected. It reminds me of the British intellectual atheist Christopher Hitchens, who had some popularity a few years ago, who had many friends who were strong believers, including Francis Collins, who's the director of the National Institutes of Health, who is a very strong believer, who did stay close to Hitchens, by the way, up to the, the time of Hitchens' death. But Hitchens once said to a friend of mine, Mike, this gospel business is all like white noise to me. I guess I just don't have the DNA to believe. Well, like Hitchens, many brilliant people have bought into the wisdom of this world, which is about focusing on what they can see now with no plan of eternity. By the way, it reminds me of the news reporter who once interviewed Woody Allen, and he said to him, you should be very happy that your movies will bring you immortality. And Woody replied, I don't want to achieve immortality through my movies. I want to achieve immortality by not dying. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Mm -hmm. Scripture says the majority of people on this planet are focused only on the values of this fallen world, and whatever they perceive by their senses, even though we know that God's reality is not what most people see. The values of this world are opposed to God's eternal values, and there is a demonic blindness that prohibits many people from understanding what is true and godly and eternal. In fact, we often see in our news that people become angry whenever a follower of Christ stands up publicly and talks about his or her biblical values. And that's why when someone runs for political office, I think people often support only the moderates who do not stand firmly on Christian values. Now, I am not taking any political side as I say these things. My point is people simply feel uncomfortable when someone takes a strong stance on godly values. And we see that throughout Scripture. It's always been so. 
And, Bill, that brings us to Roman number five. Well, that'd probably be a good place to take a little break. Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest. We're in our seventh study on the book of John. We're in chapter three. So get your Bible out and get your notebook uh, handy. If it's not, we'll be right back with more. We are back and doing some great study in God's Word with Dr. Greg Heddington. We're in the third book of John, learning about the relationship uh, between Jesus and Nicodemus. And now we're going to pick up where we left off, Greg. We're in Roman numeral 5, the truth. I like the way the Apostle Paul says it in Romans 8 when he contrasts the person who lives according to the, quote, sinful nature also called the flesh in some translations, and the person whose desire in life is to follow the will of the Lord. Here's how Paul describes it in Romans 8, 5 through 7. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that sinful nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. To set the mind on the sinful nature is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God lives in you. End of quotation. I don't know about you, but to me, those verses clearly describe the spiritual difference between one who is born again and the one who follows the unbelieving world system. A.W. Tozer describes one who is born anew as having, quote, an attachment to the person of Christ that is revolutionary, complete, and exclusive. Now, Tozer then goes on and explains that this attachment to Christ is, quote, revolutionary in that it reverses one's life and transforms it completely. It is an attachment to the person of Christ. It is complete in that it leaves no part of the life unaffected. It exempts no area of the life of the total man or woman. End of quote. Now, that's a lengthier way of expressing the meaning of the Greek word to believe, which is in Greek, pisteu, which means literally to trust, to commit to, to put your weight down on Christ. So the question for us is, are we attached to Jesus today? And how would anybody know if we are? I've always found it curious that people who seem to be highly educated are sometimes offended when they hear someone say that all people are sinners. I mean, we assume highly educated people are littered, and they have some understanding of Scripture. I think it would be refreshing if in a meeting of Christ followers that whoever stands up to speak would begin by saying something like, I'm, and then say your name, like for me, I'd say, I'm Greg, and I'm a sinner saved by grace. Not only is that humbling and scripturally accurate, but it puts everyone on equal footing. And if anyone really wants to know what you believe or what you're about, 
instead of saying I church here, I attend church here, or I'm a member here, just say, well, what do I believe? I'm a follower of Jesus. That would be an exercise, of course, in deliberate discomfort, probably for you and the other person. But we do not live in a country in which admitting you're a follower of Jesus can have you arrested like some of my friends in other countries. I mean, what do we have to lose? Again, it is that temptation that we do not want to speak too strongly because what if, what, we're uncomfortable? What if we're impolite? I'm just too connected with believers from other countries who would love to publicly say, I'm a follower of Jesus. In places like North Africa or China or other places where the government has closed most of the church buildings. Friends, the truth is we are sometimes criticized by people who say our faith is exclusive. And they're absolutely right. We do have an exclusive faith, just like the Muslims do, just like the Jewish community does. And we know there's only one way to eternal life. And eternal life begins when we are born again. The truth is, if you commit your life to Christ, eternal life has already begun for you. Scripture is clear. We have one Lord, one faith, one truth, one heaven. Just as Jesus was precise in John 14:6 when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, we believe this, but do people that you know understand what that means to you and what it could mean for them? Okay, that's what we believe. So let's look at the converse. Let's look at the way many other people believe. If you were to ask, say, 10 other people what they believed about life and afterlife, it's very possible they would all come up with different points of view. But does that mean logically that when they die, they will all go to the afterlife of their own choosing? In other words, instead of one truth, there would then be many truths, as many truths as a number of opinions. As someone has correctly said, a person can have their own opinion, but having their own truth does not mean that their truth is legitimate. Roman numeral six, other truths, question mark. Let's look at it this way. Suppose you board a flight from Minneapolis to Dallas, and as you settle into your seat, you hear the announcement say, the announcement, this is your captain speaking in our flight today from Minneapolis to Dallas. There are many ways to get to Dallas. Today we're going to go by way of Denver, then pass by Los Angeles, and then we'll be landing at, uh, well, I'm not sure exactly on which runway in Dallas, but we'll get back to you on that sometime, and we'll arrive possibly tomorrow, but that is also to be determined. <laughs> now, would you take that flight? No. Or suppose you go to the doctor to have a gallbladder taken out, and just as you're about to go into surgery, the doctor tells you, there are many ways to remove a gallbladder. <laughs> While you're under anesthesia, we'll also check out your back because I noticed some precancerous spots oh. I don't like. And we'll also have a look at your knees to consider whether or not you need a knee replacement or two during this surgery. Now, would you gamble your life with such a pilot or surgeon who believe there are many different ways to reach the goal that you seek? Life is bumpy. Getting knocked down is a given. But getting up and moving forward is a choice. Our capacity to say no to certain things determines our capacity to say yes to greater things. Which road do we take? You may be familiar with a poem by America's greatest poet, Robert Frost, entitled The Road Not Taken, which he concludes by saying, Two roads diverged in a wood. I took the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. Well, friends, the road less traveled is always more unpredictable, more mysterious, and more uncomfortable. But when we take the road to Jesus, it makes all the difference. 
because it's the only road to truth, to eternal life. And eternal life begins when we're born again. Now, I know I may be preaching to some in the choir about these things, but I think sometimes we need a course in remembrance because it's so easy to forget to get off the course. And a much greater person than Robert Frost once said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That's Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. By the way, speaking of following the road less traveled, my wife Carrie has a woman who's in her prayer group who frequently shares the gospel with individuals. Yesterday, she told Carrie, and I wrote it down, she said this, As soon as this pandemic is over, I'm going to get that hip replacement because I don't want anything to slow me down. That woman is 85 years old. Hmm. Here's the last point, Roman number seven. What do we do now? What do we do once we've committed to Christ, which means we have the abundant life now that Jesus promised, as well as the beginning of eternal life? So knowing this, what do we do now? Well, what would you do if you discovered the secret that all the world has been looking for since the beginning, which, of course, they have? Well, we pass it on to others. That may be uncomfortable for some, but so what? What will it cost you, and what will you gain? The Holy Spirit wants us to be his messenger for someone who's heading toward destruction, even though they may be unaware. We never know who truly knows the Lord and who does not. So we take every opportunity to be the hands and feet and mouthpiece for the good news. And we are always ready because we do not know when that opportunity will occur. Well, some of you might be saying, well, how do I share a faith? Let me just make it simple. As D.T. Niles said, evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. In fact, the disciple Andrew simply went to his brother and said, I have found the Messiah. What would you say that you have found? What has been your experience? My wife said she found peace when she found Jesus. I personally found purpose. Share what you have found with another person and then tell them you can have it as well. Friends, that's evangelism. Now, Bill, I don't know how much time I have to conclude with the story. I think we've got about three minutes. Let's go for it. Okay. All right. All right. On January 6, 1850, a snowstorm almost crippled the city of Gloucester, England, and a teenage boy was unable to get to the church, which he usually attended. So he made his way to a nearby Methodist chapel where a very ill-prepared layman was substituting for the absent pastor. His text that day was Isaiah 45, verse 22, which says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Well, now, for many months, this young teenager had been miserable and under deep conviction every time he went to the church because his father and his grandfather were both pastors, but he did not have the assurance of salvation. This unprepared substitute preacher did not have much to say, so he kept repeating the words, A man need not go to college to to learn to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. And about that time, the preacher noticed the teenager sitting to one side of the chapel, and he pointed at him and said, Young man, you look very miserable. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. 
As it turns out, the young man did look to Christ, and that is how one of the most influential preachers in all of England, who became known throughout the world as the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, was converted. Now, friends, if an unprepared layman can share the simple good news of Jesus and make a difference in someone coming to Christ, then anyone can ask the Holy Spirit for the courage to share the message that eternal life begins when we're born again. So I tell all of you, remember, wherever you are, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. He has a purpose in your being there. Christ who indwells in you has something he wants to do through you where you are. Believe this and go in God's grace and power. Amen. Amen. Oh, my. That was fantastic, Greg. I just love the reassurance. I love the story about Spurgeon and the whole discussion on John 3 was fantastic. Thank you so Thank you. much for doing this. I just uh, look forward to it. Dr. Greg Heddington has been my guest. And that wraps up our show, not only for the day, but for the entire week. Thank you so much for being with me throughout the week. And thank you for uh, caring about my show and sending me notes and uh, just the way you support me here during the show. And then also you support the station as well. That makes a huge difference. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Uh, Happy Valentine's Day on Sunday. That is now all the time we have. It's time to ring the bell. I'll see you Monday. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.